are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. This is my first growth university for 2020, and I'm excited about it and uh, looking forward to what God is going to uh, impart to us through His Word over these uh, next 12 months, should the Lord tarry. And uh, we call this Growth University because the intention of us being here tonight and being part of this forum is to grow in the Lord. And so if you have a notebook, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone that doesn't distract you, I encourage you to use it and to take notes to reflect on what God is speaking to us about. Uh, We have a lot of great things coming up in just the next few weeks, and I want to just encourage us to make sure we're here for the last Sunday in February. It is uh, going to be our life group launch. I'm so excited about the life groups that are happening this semester, and I know uh, it's going to be a great blessing to our church and to those outside of our church. That's Sunday, January 26th, and then that Sunday morning we'll also begin a revival uh, a Sunday morning, Sunday night revival we'll be having with uh, Evangelist Ventura Azzolini, and uh, we know that'll be a great blessing as well. And then the following Sunday is Super Team Sunday, and uh, it's our opportunity to uh, be engaged in what God, has happened, what God is doing locally through ministry, and so you'll have opportunities to sign up for that, be a part of ministries, and, and uh, so... Back-to-back Sundays, Life Group Launch, and Super Team Sunday. I'm excited about that. Our focus this month in Growth University and really this year is on personal evangelism. And I preached a message. Our theme for the year is go fishing. And so I I hope you'll go fishing this year. Tony, we'll try to go this year again and catch some fish. As well as we want to see... God add to his kingdom, and I believe that we're a part of that. We're a part of what God is doing on the earth. And so we're looking and we're working through a series called Contagious Christianity. And we're using a resource that's been around a while, but I felt could really provide some practical ways for us to live out our faith in a way that impacts people around us. And it's, uh, the book is called Becoming a Contagious Christian by Bill Hybels and Mark Uh, Middleburg. So here's the deal. People matter to God. People matter to God. And because all people matter to God, all people should matter to us. People have value. Turn to your neighbor, turn to somebody next to you and tell them, you have value. God's equation, I see hugs being passed out. That's awesome. God's equation is one equals one. That's God's value system. One person equals one. And it's an important value system that we should embrace as Christians, that God loves all people, and therefore we too are called to love all people. When we consider the parables of the lost, Kristen referred to these last week in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, he talks about the lost sheep and refers to it and says that I have 
found my sheep, which was lost in verse 6, and he says, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. That's a pretty specific statement there, that heaven rejoices. Heaven gets joy over one sinner. One sinner. One equals one. And in verse 9, the next talks about the lost coin. In verse 9, it says, and when she had found it, she found the coin and called her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I found the peace which I lost. Verse 10, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, over one sinner who repents. And then we know the parable of the lost son. We won't dive into that parable uh, tonight, but Jesus or the, the father says, or he said to him, to the son, the father says to the son, son, you are always with me and I and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He's talking to the eldest brother and he says that your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And here's what we see about the parables of the lost. We see a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And it's important for us to realize that the term lost is not just intended to be a term of judgment. It's not intended to be a term of judgment. The term lost is actually a term of value. You don't lose trash. You lose your keys. You don't lose garbage. You lose your child. Because lost indicates that what can't be found is valuable. And so this lost, this term lost tells of its state. Yes, it's lost, but it also tells of its future hope. When you use the word lost, the hope is that it's found. Not that it's in a perpetual state of lost. Our hope is if I lose something, I hope that it's found. Last year, or yeah, last year I was with the Bible quizzers. They were at our house and we were playing and we were wrestling and we were doing just hanging out in the backyard and I picked up a kid to throw him into this little pool I had. And when I did, my ring fell off, and I didn't realize it till about 15 minutes after it happened or so, and man, I, I was bribing the kids. I was like, listen, whoever finds that ring, you get $10, and then it went to 15 and 20. We were scouring. We were looking. Then the next day, I went and got a metal detector. I rented a metal detector, and I'm, I'm in my backyard finding all kinds of stuff except my ring. Never did find the ring. It's still lost. But my hope is that it will be found. That's why we call something lost. Jesus was calling people lost not because he was indicting them or judging them. He was saying they have value. The Pharisees were calling them sinners. They were upset because Jesus was hanging out and eating with sinners. And he said, let me flip the script a little bit on you. You're calling them sinners. I call them lost. I want them to be found. 
I'm not putting them in some state where they would never find hope. I'm giving them hope by calling them lost. And so God loves people. If you've ever wondered if God loves you, he loves you. And he cares about you and he cares about every person out there. And that's what I I think the first perspective that will help us a little bit is to understand that all people who don't know Jesus Christ are lost. What does that mean? It means that they are in a, a, a state of disconnect or distant from God. But it means that God wants them found. Every person you come in contact with that doesn't know Jesus Christ, his hope is that they would be found. And so we're going to look at this. Because God cares for people, what should our response be? There's an old saying that says, what God expects, God enables. And God wants to help us to help people find Jesus Christ. He wants us to be a part of the solution. And so we're going to consider a mathematical formula as we consider the responsibility and opportunity to help people find the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a formula that finds its roots in Scripture, but I think can help us to be better equipped to be the influence that God is calling us to be in this world. The formula is HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. All right? HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. So what does this cryptic equation mean. Looks more like a chemistry, something from a chemistry textbook or something like that, but it actually contains God's strategy for reaching spiritually lost people. So let's break it down. We'll break it down for the next several weeks, but let's break it down tonight. MI, let's start with the end. MI equals maximum impact. Maximum impact. Our goal, hopefully your goal, is to have the greatest spiritual influence possible on those around us. I hope you feel that way. I hope you feel the desire to impact people's lives spiritually. We all have maybe financial goals or business goals or uh, goals in retirement. All those things are great. But We should have a goal to impact people's lives spiritually around us. And it's expressed in Scripture through verses like Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. God wants our lives to have impact. We're to be witnesses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has what? Given us the ministry of reconciliation. That just as Christ came to reconcile man to God, we too are a part of that ministry of seeing people find God. We are a part of that ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We're invited to have maximum impact. Matthew chapter 28, 19, 
You're probably familiar with this. Go, therefore, Jesus told his disciples, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are called to have maximum impact. And the scriptures are brimming with challenges such as this, inviting us to be a part of God's solution in the world and to have influence in the spiritual world that we live in. And so this formula really flows out of two elements that Jesus used as illustrations in Matthew chapter 5, and they were uh, what Kristen concluded with last week. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says... You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it give light to all who are in the house. Let your light. So shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So two elements there that kind of make up this formula. So let's consider salt for just a minute. What was Jesus saying by using salt? What does salt do? Well, salt spices up food. It helps it taste better. Would anybody agree with that? Those of you who are on low... Salt diets are not really wanting to amen here, and I understand you don't have to. But salt adds flavor. Salt also makes us thirsty. Makes us thirsty, and salt preserves. Those three things. Now, you can choose what element you want to choose there with what Jesus was meaning by the metaphor, but I believe each of them have reason for us to be salt in the world, that Christ wants our lives to be salt, whether it's to add flavor, whether it's to preserve, whether it's to help people be thirsty for God. You can, you can add whatever you want there, but salt was important. He called us to be salt. And what we find, though, in the principle of salt is that to have the greatest possible impact, if you're going to have the greatest possible impact using salt, It first must be potent. It must be potent enough to have an effect. What did Jesus say? But if the salt loses its flavor, then it really has no value. And so it has to be potent. And second, for salt to have impact, it has to be close enough to whatever it's supposed to affect. It has to be there on the food to have impact. So inside of the salt metaphor, we can find two very important elements, potency and proximity. As Christians, we are called to be salt, but our effectiveness as salt is dependent on our potency and our proximity. As Becky Pippert said, she's a Christian author, she wrote many years ago, unless salt gets poured out of the shaker... It remains a mere table ornament. Salt really doesn't do anything 
if it just sets in the shaker or it just sits where it is. It's got to be in proximity to the food. And Jesus also used the metaphor of light. What was Jesus saying by using this example? The most basic answer is that Jesus was saying things have to be visible. It helps us to see things, to, to know things. And when we look into the biblical use of the term light, the central idea that emerges is that of clearly and attractively presenting God's truth to others. It's illuminating it in order to show it for what it really is. And so, again, now this metaphor can be used to talk about our lifestyle, that we're to model Jesus Christ in our lifestyle, but it's also we're to make clear and visible and knowledgeable the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just our life, but it's also the message of Jesus Christ. So, just as the salt illustration gave us the first two components of our formula, and that is high potency and close proximity, so the light metaphor provides the final component of our formula for maximum, maximum impact of others. It's the CC, and that stands for clear communication of the gospel message. So let's put it together. HP, high potency, plus close proximity, plus clear communication equals maximum impact. Say it again. High potency, plus close proximity, plus clear communication equals maximum impact. And if we look at people who have affected our life, and are effective in helping people find a growing relationship with God and living out His purpose, we would say that this is probably a formula in their life. We realize that high potency, this high level of life, plus clear communication, but low proximity to people is ineffective. We can live righteously all we want, and we can know the words to say, but if we never get in proximity to people, it, we don't impact anybody. And we can have clear communication, and we can be close to people, but if our lives aren't lived in a way that brings honor and glory to God, our impact is dwindled. And we can have high proximity, we can be close to people, we can be Righteous, but if we never articulate the word of God clearly for people or never communicate the gospel and what his love does for us, again, our impact is reduced. And so high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. So let's consider tonight the first element of the equation, high potency. How can we be sure that we are effective. It could be said of our culture that image is everything because image is important to us. It's important to you. Most likely you cared about what you looked like when you left the house today. We hope you did. We want people to believe certain things about us because we value perception. We understand both intellectually and intuitively that Perception is a lot of times reality, and so it matters to us. 
But I think we should know that when someone is searching for truth, somebody is hungry for God, they are not looking for image. They are looking for substance. They're looking for something that's real, something they can identify with. And a lot of times when we interact with people who are more about image than they are about substance, a lot of times causes defenses to come up in conversation. Guards come up when we sense that somebody is just presenting an image to us. It's kind of that salesman sniffer. You know when somebody's just selling something. And we don't like it when people are fake to us just to sell us something or make us want to believe something just so they can sell us something. People who are searching for truth and answers in their life are not looking for an image. They are looking for substance. Lee Strobel was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune as well as he was an atheist who started attending a church in the early 1980s. And in an effort to appease his newly converted wife, he began to attend church. And in his book, Inside the Mind of Unchurched Harry and Mary, Lee recalls, when I walked into the church as a skeptical unbeliever, my hypocrisy antenna was scanning the place for signs that people were just playing church. In fact, I was aggressively on the lookout for phoniness, opportunism, or deception because I felt that if I could find an excuse for rejecting the church on grounds of hypocrisy, I could feel free to reject Christianity as well. Thankfully, Lee converted or discovered a church filled with sincere people and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. But in authenticity, among those claiming to be Christians, can become almost an insurmountable barrier to belief. I think that's important for us to understand. Most people won't come out and say it, but you'd better believe that they're thinking it. They're not interested in committing their lives to Jesus Christ unless they observe an attractive and consistent pattern of living in the Christians that they know. Joe Aldrich, author of the book Lifestyle Evangelism, puts it like this. Christians are to be good news before they share good news. Has Jesus made a difference in your life? I think he has. And that needs to be on display. doesn't mean you just preach from the cubicle, although if God calls you to do that, you should do that. Doesn't mean you yell from the street corner, but if he calls you to do that, you should do that. But your life should display the works of God, should display love, should display joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Should be an attempt to display those things. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Though it's tempting to run ahead in this series and talk about practical tips for communicating our faith, 
I think it might be a little bit premature. See, before we can become highly contagious Christians, we are first to live in a way that convinces people we are Christians. And if we want to be the kind of high-impact, salty Christians that Jesus said we need to be, we're going to have to first take some preliminary steps of self-examination and be willing to make any needed character adjustments. So we start by making certain that the way we're living backs up the words that we're speaking. Jesus knew the importance of perceptions. He called the Pharisees whited sepulchers. He called them cups that were clean on the outside, but inside they were dirty. He gave us some very clear instructions to be salt and light. He knows that as you learn to live out these principles in tangible ways, people will begin to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus was telling us that our attitudes and our actions would either draw people towards a relationship with God or push them further away. Think about a person in your life that you don't like. Weren't expecting that question. That's not going to be at that time. I want you to think about a person in your life that you don't like. What is the most repelling attribute that person has? A lot of times it has to do with dishonesty, hypocrisy, lying, pretending, false fronts. Hope I didn't describe your spouse or your kid. No, I'm kidding. Glad Kristen's not in here. Think about a person in your life who you really like, you really respect. Why are you drawn to that person? Probably because they're sincere, they're honest, they're authentic, they keep it real. There's a story that from the Gulf War tells of a newly promoted colonel who had moved into a recently built makeshift office during the Gulf War. He'd just been promoted. He gets a new office. He's excited. He just arrived and was getting things organized in his office. When out of the corner of his eye, he sees a private coming down the hall, and the private is carrying a toolbox. And wanting to seem important, he quickly spun around. And picked up the phone. He said, yes, General Schwarzkopf, yes, yes. Of course, I I think that's an excellent plan, yes. You've got my support. Thank you for checking in. Let's, Let's touch base again soon, Norm. Goodbye. And he briskly hung up the phone, turned around, and he said, ah, what can I do for you? The private kind of sheepishly said, um... I'm here to hook up your phone. (laughs) Anybody ever pretended? Anybody ever pretend to be on your phone when you don't want to talk to somebody? Liars. (laughs) I don't do that here, but I have done that in other places. All right. Let me just remind us, deception doesn't help 
God's cause. Deception doesn't help God's cause. People are trying to appear sometimes more than they are. And there's a lot of pretending that goes on. And maybe for justifiable reasons, it seems at times. But can I tell you what this world needs is people who are authentic. People who are real about their relationship with God and real about what God has done for them. Real about their struggles and their difficulties. And so let's quickly, I'm going to go through these fast, give you four ways to be authentic. Four ways to be authentic. Number one, just be you. Just be you. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be somebody else you see on social media. Don't try to be somebody else you see in the church. Be you. Have an authentic identity. Now, I would say, let me add here, that Jesus does come into our life to transform us, to change us. And I've heard people make that excuse, well, this is just who I am. I'm just rude, and I'm just mean, and I'm just all this. That's just who I am. Okay? I do believe that Jesus came to transform us. You used to cuss, drink, smoke, tell off-color jokes, and I believe God wants to change that in your life. If he hasn't changed it completely, he's working on it. He wants to change your life. He wants to change your hearts, your passions, your desires. So just be you can seem contradictory, but let me be clear, Jesus wants to transform our lives. But what do we mean, be me, after Christ saves us? Be you means to be who God wants you to be, because we believe God has uniquely shaped you. We talk about it in Ministry 201. If you haven't taken Ministry 201, I encourage you to do that. Ministry 201, we talk about shape. That God has shaped us. He's given us spiritual gifts. The S is spiritual gifts. He's given us H, heart. He's given us passions that are uniquely ours. He's given us unique abilities. The A, abilities. P, personality. He's given us all a unique personality. Christians don't have one personality. Amen. Amen. I, I could go in on that, but I'm not. Personality. And E, experiences. We all have unique experiences that God wants to use for his glory. We have educational experiences, spiritual experiences. We have painful experiences that God wants to use for his glory. And so you are meant to be you. You're meant to be a sanctified you. God wants to use those elements in your life for his glory. And can I tell you, when you allow God to use your spiritual gifts and your heart and your abilities and your personality and your experiences, your real experiences, it can have a dramatic impact on people's lives. It's where you have maximum impact. So be you. Secondly, be real on the inside. Be real on the inside. Have emotional authenticity. And I'm not going to spend too much time for sake of time. I'm going to move quickly. But a powerful magnet that draws people to God is when you are authentic in your emotional life. Tragically, many Christians have gotten confused about how to express their feelings. And some may be well-meaning and and uh, misguided maybe teachers have taught that dedicated Christians should never get angry, should never express sadness, should never express hurt or grief. They're signs of low faith or shallow character. 
untold numbers of believers have tried to smile and praise God any way in the midst of any circumstance, thinking this is an indication of spiritual maturity. And I think there's merit to trying to give God glory in the depths of deep despair. We praise God no matter what circumstance, but we don't ignore the truth that some things just hurt in life. There are some things that we just don't understand. And it doesn't help an unbeliever to make for you to portray that nothing ever affects you. And so we're called to be authentic emotionally. Again, we're sanctified. We want God to help us with our anger. We want God to help us with our fear, to help us with our sadness, those kind of things. But we realize those are very real things that we go through and we should acknowledge. And when people ignore that and try to act like those things don't happen and they attempt to Christianize their feelings, they, they can manipulate themselves into being uh, uh, helpless and really almost apathetical and disoriented towards the things of God because they, they stop feeling They don't want to deal with the feelings in their life. Sometimes it takes work, takes prayer, it takes professional counseling, Christian counseling to work out some of these conditions in our life. Another consequence is that those on the outside, they they don't resonate with this sense of there's no feeling. They don't don't resonate with this idea that I would just thank God anyway when a child dies. That doesn't help them. And so I think that we're called on to be authentic emotionally, that we know that Jesus showed emotions. Jesus showed anger. Jesus showed disappointment. Jesus showed sorrow. He wept. Can't wait for that to be the verse of the week. And we get a short verse. Jesus wept. That's your verse for next week. No, that's awesome. But being authentic with our emotions allows people to see God, not just past worked in your life, allows people to see God working in your life. And I'm of the opinion that our authenticity of our fears, our doubts, sadness, anger, jealousies, and loss can have a great impact on people around us. If you're hurting... It honors God that you ask for help. If you're facing difficulty or you're dealing with anger, it honors God that you ask for help. It allows God to have a work in your life that can impact those around you. The third way we can live authentic lives is to be forthright about failure. Along similar lines, there's this third area that is authentic confession. This is, makes us a little bit uneasy, and it should make us uneasy. But Christians, all of us deal with failures and mess-ups. And when we try to hide those failures and mistakes, try to act like we haven't failed in life, we do a disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, I preach often 
about how God wants to use our mistakes for His glory, our failures for His glory. It's always amazing to me to look at Scripture. And man, do you ever think that Moses wished some things weren't written? You ever think Noah wished some things weren't written? David, kind of like, you could leave a few. Man, I was a God, man after God's own heart. We'd leave it right there. Think Peter would have, like, man, I'm not always angry. You know, like Peter, man, you'd think he'd, like, scratch some things out. Like, listen, Luke, Luke, we don't need to say that. That doesn't need to be in there. But when we're forthright about failure, what does it do? Each one of us, those characters in Scripture, we relate with it, don't we? And the people who have really impacted your life are probably people who have went through some things and were willing to share some of their failures, some of their thoughts, some of their deepest doubts. Like, there's something about going, wow, I thought I was the only one. Right? Isn't there power in knowing there are other people that go through similar things, think similar things? So being forthright about failure. And then finally, live like you mean it. Live like you mean it. The final way we can be more authentic is to live with genuine conviction. It is always inspiring when we see news articles, videos, or movies that show people standing up for things or facing adversity and being willing to stand. There's that old image, that Chinese college student who stood in front of that tank on Tymon Square. We are inspired by people who take a stand for something. Those East Germans who were picking away at the wall while the soldiers stood there with guns because they had conviction. They wanted to see a united Germany. It's inspiring and challenging for us to see people stand for what they believe. And it should not be lost on us when people are looking for God, that they are not attracted to spinelessness. They're not attracted to weakness. I wouldn't say that they're attracted to meanness, but they're attracted to people who actually believe what they say they believe and live out what they say they believe. People are inspired by bold Christians. And so many times it's fearful for us to state what we believe or to live by biblical principles because we feel like it alienates people. Most of the time, seekers of God, whether they admit it or not, respect and admire Christians who are willing to take a stand. I know in my own life, in high school, making a stand, trying to live for God the best I could, it was embarrassing at times, humiliating at times, but I had a few students who said, hey, man, I, re I respect your beliefs. Anybody ever had that happen to you where somebody respects your beliefs? And obviously the goal isn't just for them to respect you, but hopefully if they're looking for Jesus Christ, they're going to know where to go because your life is not just a facade 
It's not just an image, but you actually, they can see in your life that you actually believe what you say you believe. When a believer speaks up for what is right, when they defend Christianity intellectually or live their faith openly and authentically, the seekers, those who are hungry for God, have to reflect on their own life and hopefully they're challenged and they are able to see Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so tonight we're challenged to live authentically for Christ, live authentically on our jobs, in our neighborhoods, on our schools, in our world, in organizations, in groups that we're in, hobbies we're in. That's why I love life groups, because you are living out things you enjoy, things you want to do in an authentic way, being who God called you to be, not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're called to be authentic. So just be you. Be real on the inside. Be forthright about failure and live like you mean it. And I believe all of us can have an impact on the gospel of Jesus Christ being realized around this city. I don't think it's just going to be one person or it's just going to take one person. I think all of us living authentic Christian lives and thinking about the lost people that Jesus died on the cross for. He loves them more than you and I could ever love them. But because of the great love that he gave us, we too love God in return. And when we love God, we love everything that he loves. And that's the people who are looking for him, searching for him. So so may the Holy Spirit empower us, direct us, enable us. And our challenge is, let's go fishing. Amen. Our app time tonight is to tell about a person in your life who has had a significant impact in you serving God today. Tell about a person in your life who has had a significant impact in you serving God today. Was it their potency that stood out to you? Was it their proximity to you? Was it their communication of the gospel to you? What was it about their life that stood out to you? All right, you've got about five minutes, three to five minutes, and you may go now.
All right, why don't you stand tonight? We consider Jesus Christ as our example. And the Bible describes a Roman centurion who watched the proceedings on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. He stood as a spectator to one of history's greatest dramas. As he looked on as Jesus was thrown to the ground, nailed to the cross, and then displayed for public ridicule. He watched intently as Jesus continued to maintain his claim to be God's son, the savior of the world. He listened as Jesus made provisions for the care of his mother and extended grace to the repentant thief. Then this battle-hardened soldier shuddered as Jesus courageously cried out, It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when Jesus had died, the centurion began to realize the cost of it all, the depth of Jesus' commission or commitment to his mission, and his willingness to give up his very life. No doubt this man would have maybe felt tortured by what had played out in front of him, maybe his mind a little in chaos. And eventually his heart came to the point of admitting what his head knew to be true. He cried out from the depth of his being. And Scripture records, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Nothing short of Jesus' willingness to lay down his life would have brought that cynical Roman soldier to his needs. It was Jesus' genuine and courageous devotion to his mission that wrung that declaration out of that centurion. And your authentic surrendered life to Jesus Christ is how people will come to know a loving Savior that died for them their sins has come to set them free. And we are called to be salt. We are called to be authentic in our walk with God, and I believe that we can be. I want to pray for you in closing. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, God, first of all, for your love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, you chose to die for us. You saw us as lost, and so you chose to make a way for us to be found. And I pray we would realize that afresh tonight. We would be encouraged by that tonight. And I pray there would be something in us that desires to be authentic to this world, that we would not be stuck on being Uh, God, just an image, Lord, or to, to pretend we've got it all together. But Lord, help us to be salt in this world. Help us, Lord, to add flavor. Help us to preserve. Help us, Lord, God, to be who we need to be so people can be thirsty for you. I pray that your gospel would come alive in us. God, we thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to help you be who you want us to be in this world, Lord. We're praying that your will be accomplished in our services this coming weekend. God, use us as we go to the job tomorrow, we go to school. God, help us to be who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.
This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.